everybody welcome to the ocean curious webcast podcast yet another great webcast episode with a special guest uh, but before we go into our guest we want to introduce ourselves with la- as last the guest's name so uh, i'll introduce myself first my name is nico dakins also known as the dutch ocean guy and, and i'm handing it over to john please introduce yourself hey i'm john Turbush, gumshoe on twitter um let's go to nick's Hi everyone, it's Nick Sintel. Uh, I'm Nick Sintel on Twitter. Uh, it's great to be back after a long break and I'm going to hand over to Laurent. Hi everyone, here is Laurent. I'm also glad to be back again. And you can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Laurent Bodo. Uh, I will hand over to, to Kirby. Hello everyone, my name is Kirby Plessis. My Twitter handle is Kerbster and I'm going to hand it to Ray. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Ray, and you can find me on Twitter under Wondersmith underscore Ray, and I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Then it's uh, my duty to welcome our special guest in today's episode. Um, so welcome, Emmanuel uh, Welch. Uh, Emmanuel is a licensed private uh, investigator, certified fraud examiner, and also owner of French Connection Research, which is a private investigative agency in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, she specializes in white-collar crime investigations, cross-Atlantic litigation support, and also OSINT analysis. And uh, she, inter- uh, she, she also integrates dating and hookup apps into all types of investigations and maintains a directory that you may have come across in the past. So we will also drop the link later in the chat. You can find it. It's a start.me page. And Emmanuel is also a co-author of The Art of Investigations, a really interesting book and maybe she can talk a little bit about it as well and she also currently serves as the vice president of new york society for professional investigators spi so without further ado uh welcome emmanuel and thank you so much for being on the show today oh thank you thank you Laurence. yeah uh no i'm really i'm i'm very pleased to be with you and very honored because it's such a great group international and uh this year we can't really meet in person at conferences so um it's uh, it's the next best thing at least on zoom you know yeah absolutely uh, so. so maybe i can uh, begin by asking the first question so can you tell us a little bit about your story so how did you end up in OSINT? Yeah, it's, it's always interesting, our backgrounds in OSINT, because we, we do different cases and we work differently if we work for the government or, in my case, I work mostly with attorneys and private um, customers, like clients who are corporations or maybe they have private matters they need to deal with. So it's very different, especially when you work with attorneys, because there's so many things in the state of New York, at least, that you can't really do, you're not allowed to do. We don't have the same freedom as you do in the government or... Uh, so it's always fun to meet at conferences and compare what we can do, cannot do, the tools we use, cannot use sometimes. Uh, so my background is in um, journalism. So I don't have a law enforcement background. I, uh, I was a reporter uh, in Eastern Europe first, so in, uh, in Hungary for a few years. And then um, I uh, moved to the U.S. and uh, started covering Silicon Valley uh, back in the in the fun days of, um, you know, the, the, the early years of the web and when people started adopting 
the web and when he started changing our lives. And so this was really a lot of fun. And, um, and then I was a news reporter. And sometimes around 2004, I started uh, transitioning to private investigations. I, uh, I took uh, a course to learn on uh, public records. And because I was coming from France, uh, working in the US, and I discovered that there were so many amazing public records uh, that I could access if I only knew how to. And it's something we don't have this luxury in, uh, in old Europe. We don't have that many documents that are public records, uh, the government documents. So uh, there are some. And actually, it's funny because in Europe, more and more uh, documents become public records, while here in the US, it seems like um, it's getting harder to access documents, even as a licensed private investigator. And, um, and, uh, and that's when I started learning about OSINT. Back then, it wasn't called that. I think it was called Internet Research, as simple as that. Uh, and I think it was when Cynthia Etherington came to Los Angeles to speak to one of our professional organizations that I belong to, because I've always been a believer in, in joining organization and uh, talking to my peers and exchanging. And so she was a speaker and she, um, she blew, me, blew my mind um, presenting uh, on uh, internet uh, searches and Google hacks already. It was maybe 2004, 2005. And uh, I was really impressed. And, um, you know, I loved her. I was like, wow, this, this woman is amazing. And she has a, a background as a librarian. So I could relate to her way to look at investigations. And um, she was the, the first, uh, she, I think she's an OSINT pioneer, and she, she's, she was the first to really organize trainings. And I, I started going to all of her trainings uh, across the U.S. I have sort of a follow-up question for you, which you touched on there. Um, you talk about the difficulties, to some extent, of, of finding information on people in the EU as far as public records. I know as a fellow PI, having worked my fair share of international cases, getting information on an American citizen is typically much easier than someone, say, in the EU. Um, are there sort of some go-to OSINT places that you really like to touch on when you're doing that sort of work? In, in the EU, from the US? Yeah. For international uh, due diligence, for corporate due diligence, or cases like that? Mm -hmm. um, I would say that, um, so, Funny, I just attended a webinar by Cynthia about that, about um, uh, international due diligence, and uh, two days ago. And she was talking about how the Library of Congress has um, a lot of resources, which I should uh, email to you if you want to put in your notes, uh, where you can see um, the legal resources available uh, for each country. So all the courts that, are, that have websites and what is available on those websites. Because in France, uh, not, not a lot of court records are available, but sometimes they are. And a lot of records are available through what they call the Le Journal Officiel, the official uh, gazette of the government. Like if people apply for uh, building permits or it appears in these gazettes. So if you know where to look, they're pretty searchable. Um, it, there's not one to go to, but the general rule is that Yes, start in the U.S. with Library of Congress and um, pages on Wikipedia that, that have done the job for you, that have already, you know, researched what is available in China, what is available in Dubai, what is available in different countries and states and cities. And, and also, I would say a lot of the research is media. Uh, look at newspapers, local newspapers, look at um, gazettes in cities. It depends on what you're looking for, but 
uh, a lot of it, you have to rely on media searches outside of the US much more because uh, government documents are not readily available. Yeah. Uh, even if you have someone on the ground, if you have a gumption on the ground, who uh, right. you can. And even that brings me to another one, which is um, working these international cases, and you obviously are from Europe, so you have some background there, but I often found as an investigator that it worked best to have someone in that local area, whether it was Europe or some other international place. Um, what are your thoughts on bringing in someone locally that's familiar with that culture or the records there when you're doing an international investigation? Well, I find that uh, it's always good to start as an OSIN professional to start yourself uh, because you may find more than the local gumshoe um, on the ground because just that, because of the fact that you can search within a tiny local gazette that he, he wouldn't think of because uh, he, he's on the ground and he knocks on doors. At the same time, you may need the local person to do a pretext call to help with um, directing your research. Uh, so I would say always start, give yourself maybe two or three hours of online search because you may be able to pull out quite a bit. So, and it depends on the, it depends on the country if you don't speak the language, if you have to do a case in Hungary and you pull out Hungarian websites, yeah, um, you know, just go straight to the PI probably. Um, but, um, you know, if you work on a case and you know a little bit the language, if you know some Spanish or some French or, or in the UK, you can already get started and find quite a lot of things. It depends on, on the countries. In general, I find that in Europe, you find a lot of um, corporate information uh, public because a lot of companies have to publish their uh, financial results, their, their financial um, uh, yearly reports. Here in the US, it's like one sheet that means nothing. They, they just say, yeah, we filed a report to say we still exist. But in, in France, it's amazing. You, it's not all OSINT in the sense that you need to pay maybe eight euros or 10 euros but you get the report and you find the, the founder of the company has to disclose their full name, their date of birth, where they were born, if they're married, to whom, and their uh, home address. So you get a lot of information from company records. And in France, a lot of people uh, buy uh, real estate through a company. And so even if the person you, you're targeting um, doesn't have a, a corporation, it's, it's just maybe... Uh, is uh, actually um, a CEO of a company you're trying to investigate. He may have invested and bought his apartment in Paris through uh, a real estate company, and then you can find who he's married to, where he lives, uh, and some, you know, how much his, his apartment costs. It gives you some intelligence on him. Yeah. Can I ask a, a question in addition to that? Because I'm not that familiar with uh, PIs, but I do know that PIs have sometimes access to more closed databases because they have a PI license, right? Uh, how many, how much of the information on average in your cases comes from those closed sources and how many is open source intelligence? You know, you know it's, it's what you say is, it's very true. And I find myself relying more and more on those uh, PI uh, databases to find emails and phone numbers, cell phone numbers of people, which which are the, the, what you need to start with when you, you look for someone. 
so it's not because necessarily I'm lazy, it's because uh, all these OSIN searches are, are taking much longer, especially so social media searches. Uh, you need to, you know, you can't do a straight Facebook search because your, your, your target has closed their Facebook. You need to go like three degrees deep into sometimes their first cousin to find some photos or some. So uh, because I don't have the time, I buy, you know, the search uh, for uh, an email address or a cell phone number. And it really jumpstarts the, the OSIN search much quicker. Uh, so it's true. In the U.S., we do that. In France, you can't really do because uh, people have their cell phones sometimes leaked on the Internet. Some, there, there are hacks like everywhere else. And sometimes you find people's phone number, um, the French cell phone or British cell phone. By the way, for international cell phone numbers, uh, people, uh, PIPL is really the best for me. Uh, I yeah, was looking I for, yeah. for targets in Morocco. Uh, and I, I needed to find witnesses and to, to have the lawyers be able to contact the witnesses. They all had a Facebook account or Twitter that they had started with their cell phone because in Africa, they use their cell much more than their email. The cell number is everything. And um, that's how we had cell phone numbers for all these witnesses. Um, so PIPL, which has uh, disappointed me lately in the US, is still for me really great for international cell phones. Uh, now it's a pay database. It used to be OSINT. Now you need to pay, but I, I subscribe to the API, which is much cheaper. So it costs me 40 cents uh, a search and you can do that. You just ask, ask for it. If you can't afford the 200 bucks or whatever they ask for individual uh, subscriptions a month <laughs> or some. It's, it's so the API is uh, sometimes you can really subscribe to the API for all these services and it's, it's cheaper, the results are a bit, you know, you just need to sort through, make it pretty. And, yeah, uh, it's JSON, right? Yeah, 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 it's JSON, but that's fine. You find the phone number or whatever yeah. username you as need. As long as you get what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. I would second that to uh, Nico. I always started with that database search if I had, you know, my access as a PI because that gives you a great launching point. You have some really reliable data. Sorry, go ahead, Lauren. Yeah, so just a, gener a general question for, because maybe some of our viewers might be interested in this and also those who listen to it. For someone who's new to OSINT and wants to st get started, because we always get these questions, like how can you find a job? What can you recommend? If someone is interested in working in this kind of fields as uh, you are doing, what would, you, what would uh, your advice be and like how to get started? And also maybe you can describe your day-to-day -day job, how this looks like as an OSINT, when you use OSINT and how you use it in your daily job? Um, the thing is that companies, they don't, if you look at job, um, job sites, they don't really use the word OSINT too much. And the ones, uh, the, the, it's usually banks or financial institutions who, who, who put the word OSINT and, um, and they're looking for people who are a bit technical, usually, uh, who can write scripts and who can, uh, uh, I would say OSINT is useful for anything. So it's, it's anyway, it's, it's, it's like a good skill to develop in general, just to find your way around life uh, a bit more easily. Um, I, I would say if, if you're young and organized and you like learning, um, you know, uh, softwares and, maybe try to master some uh, 
uh, tools that I don't master at all, but I find a very interesting, like, um, like uh, Neo Maltigo or, or Lampire, even though, uh, you know, it's controversial, um, perhaps uh, with the Russian thing, I don't know. I, I use it, I love it. Um, uh, Maltigo, all these, um, these link analysis uh, tools, uh, companies are looking for people who master those tools. And if you use one, I would say, you know them better than I do, but if you know one, you kind of understand how they all work, right? Would you say that? Yeah, I would agree. Link analysis is link analysis. It doesn't matter what tweet you have, it's just link analysis. Okay. So if a corporation or a big uh, firm like, you know, in New York, you have all these large investigative firms that are um, technically consultancies, they're, they're looking for, for people who, who know how to use a very expensive software that I never learned to use because I, I'll never be able to afford them. But uh, so if you know that you're, you're limber and you know how to, I think you have a great, um, you have a great, uh, uh, a great advantage. I would say. Any, yeah. What do you think? You're, you're maybe more plugged in the corporate world than I am. Uh, I, I, I'd like to agree that a lot of companies are looking for that. But my main worry is when companies looking for that, they forget that a lot of those people forget how to do it manually. So if yeah. the tool breaks or it's not broken, they are blind sighted. They cannot do anything anymore. Okay. So that's the big that's the big fall pit, at least in my in my opinion, when you are relying on those tools. Not saying those tools are very powerful and useful for sifting through large amounts of data quickly, but uh, yeah, for that, sure. That's the conversation we love to have with uh, older uh, investigators. Like, yeah, at least we can do it manually. If the internet shuts down, we know how to find stuff. And um, yeah, but it's yeah, I. I I was talking about it with my, my friend Brian uh, Willingham. He's younger than me, but we, we talked about the fact that we feel very lucky that we, we knew how to navigate the world before the web. And uh, not only you can find paper records, but also your mind is, uh, is also um, less reliant on, on technology in a way. I hope so. But it's, uh, it's very true. How can you... How can you tell a 25-year-old uh, you need to adapt, you need to have those skills that older folks have? How do you unlearn or, uh, this I don't know, actually. It's very interesting. Just I think it's them. being OSINT curious, right? It's just yeah, being yeah, curious yeah. And, and clicking on stuff and see what happens when you click here and there and what new information can be yielded by clicking certain parts of the internet. I yeah, think, yeah. Uh, it's great. I think we complement each other, older people and uh, millennials. I think it's, it's, it, that's why it's great to work in teams. I love it when it happens. Can I, I jump in with a question, kind of reach back question that was asked in the Q&A? Um, the question is, are you aware of any free ways to find full UK mobile numbers? Uh, landlines can be quite easy, but UK mobile seem to be really hard unless it's in the who is or just posted online. Uh, a free resource that's not um, people before the, um, it became a pay uh, site. Um, I would say it would be, nothing is totally free, but same thing, I would look into uh, dehashed or leaks to see if, if you have the person's email address or name or try to see if the cell phone number pops up in a, in a and again, that's, can you do that? Some attorneys would, would tell you, I don't want you to look into any of that, these this, uh, data breaches. What about things like TrueCaller? Do you guys ever use anything like that or a caller ID? Yeah, you're right. TrueCaller. And 
sometimes you get more from the mobile apps with those, those uh, yeah, you yeah. can sometimes, but outside of the US, have you had uh, good luck? Yes, I I've actually had, have. I've had really good luck, Israel. Oh, yeah. okay. And I, I, I had a lot of luck with a tool called Sync.me, for especially yes. for Europe, especially when you have the paid pricing plan, which is about, I think, $20 a year. I think some of these tools just are, you know, they have more data for certain countries and that sort of thing, which sort of brings us back, Nico, to what you were saying about, you know, the tools change and you need to know manually how to do things and understand that investigative process. Yeah, like Lampire looks for uh, VK accounts. So unless, you know, you do a case uh, involving uh, Russia or neighboring countries, and they, they look for Black Black Cars accounts, which is a European, I in France it exists, it's a sort of carpooling uh, site. Uh, they look for things that in the US, uh, you can't, your targets won't have a, or Aeroflot accounts, you know. Not everyone has an Aeroflot account. Uh, yeah, so tools have their specialties. I'm a bit uh, low on uh, Asian tools. Uh, this morning, I quickly spent some time, even though it's postponed, but uh, re-downloading WeChat and because I have some new uh, burner phones and WeChat and TikTok, and I was like, wow, they make it more difficult. Uh, so it's funny because before in OSINT, one of the, the credo was like, um, it's important to use uh, virtual machines and to erase things and start new accounts and all the time. And it's become really practically impossible not to recycle. I mean, you can't create a new account for everything because every new account is such a hassle to build and you need a following and a followers and uh, new Facebooks get flagged. Your old Facebook is goes through and so you don't delete your old Facebook anymore because it's, got, it's like gold now. Um, this has changed uh, and now uh, I'm a bit worried. So I just changed bur burner phones. That's why I re-download some uh, apps and yeah. Uh, was it uh, WeChat? Yeah, WeChat you have to be, um, you have to have another WeChat user scan your code and approve you and the other WeChat user has to be uh, a user for the for more than six months, or it, it's not instant anymore. And WeChat for me has been so helpful in Asian investigations or investigations of Chinese Americans in the US. I really need it. So I was like, wow. So um, can I ask one question? Because you, you say you, you're noticing that basically the landscape is kind of shifting and changing which makes it harder and difficult for us people to find stuff which we five or two years ago could more easily find because our accounts get deleted uh new terms of services are in place um i know you have a great repository out there on start.me about those dating apps um recently i had a hard time accessing your repository because it was behind uh, a wall but can you tell me a little bit more because i always found those dating apps really interesting for investigative purposes it's why you made it and how do you use those and do you see different changes in the landscape there also oh yeah uh yeah and first of all i'm sorry and thank you for mentioning it to me that um the the link was suddenly behind some wall so i had to they had changed their terms of service. And so I, um, I uh, put it it's, it's back to, to public and it's on my uh, Twitter bio, if you're interested, at French PI. French PI is my uh, Twitter handle. 
Um, yeah, no, dating apps, I, I think, um, are still um, not used as much as they could be in OSINT investigations because I find them very, very helpful for a lot of cases. Uh, and they're not marital cases. Uh, they are cases where you need to locate someone or confirm maybe uh, if they are who they are, where they live. People lie a lot on dating apps, but they also reveal a lot. And for location, it's pretty good. For example, uh, not long ago, um, uh, I was working on, a, it's actually a, a case I worked on last year, and um, the attorneys couldn't find one of the co-defendants to um, serve him with some papers. Uh, because of COVID, he had moved out of his dorm. He was a student. And uh, so someone pretext uh, the dad who said he may be with one of his sisters, but I don't know which one because it was some half-sisters. And at least we had some indication. So we looked at the family tree, all the sisters, and then I looked on Tinder, and then I found him within a mile of that sister's address in Pennsylvania. And so we knew where he was staying. Uh, it was at 8 in the morning. He was probably in bed still or uh, having his breakfast. So we knew where he was, and we knew where to send the, the process server. So that's, that's very helpful. Uh, and it's very helpful when, you know, your subject is in Pennsylvania and not in New York City. Um, but, but dating apps I find, uh, yeah, amazingly useful and they're, they're a bit unexplored. They're not. Um, a few years ago, I gave a presentation at Osmosis and I told everyone, uh, enjoy while it lasts because it's not going to last. And actually, we're still enjoying the, the ride. A few apps have made it more difficult to create um, uh, dummy accounts. Uh, like you need to have a video selfie. But I work around it by uh, either I, I open an account under my name, or if I'm, you know, I, I, with me, and I try to stay as close to the truth as possible. So uh, I, I use maybe my uh, middle name, and I use photos for me a long time ago, but a mix of photos that are a bit Instagrammed, you know. So it's, at the end, I try to be as honest as possible, and if I I uh, need an account with uh, a male person as friends or my brother said, okay, take these photos if you want. Um, so so you, you find a way to do it in sort of legally or not, uh, not violating the terms of service. And, and you, it's amazing how you can still do that um, quite a bit. Um, so yeah, locate people, find where they work and where they hang out. Uh, we had a, a lady, we were not sure where she was living, and um, her dating profile, which I found, said that uh, she works at the library and she has um, lunch every day at the park. And uh, if people want to meet her, they can meet her at the park every day. So it was, a, uh, it was an indication that, yeah, she lives in that city and we know where to find her if we need to, to start a surveillance or um, there, was a, there was a guy on Grindr, who even um, an Egyptian, Egyptian guy in the U.S. who even told on Grindr, well, I'm going to Alexandria for three weeks and I'll be back on <laughs> give the time. And the, so you could almost pick him up at the airport if you needed to, to do surveillance. <laughs> it was really, um, and there was a teenager, a runaway teenager. We didn't know where he was. And um, I found him on Grindr as well, and then he disappeared. And I could see on Grindr that he was uh, 12 kilometers away for the next 
um, for the following four hours. I was like, why is it 12 kilometers away for the next four hours? Where is it? And then we look, I looked at a map and there was GFK airport. And I was like, maybe it's on his way somewhere. Is that the airport waiting for a plane? And so it, it's not an absolute uh, source of absolute information, but it gives you indication. And then the mom said, oh, yeah, he's going to Africa to volunteer. I was like, okay, so he's uh, going to Africa. But then the dad, you know, some complicated story. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really another source of intelligence that, you, that is not very difficult to, to, to investigate. And, and it's, uh, it gives you some, some interesting information. Yeah, really interesting insights here. Um, really enjoying your answers. Um, looking at the time, we need to slowly shift towards the news. But there's one question we always ask each and every question, uh, each and every guest we have on. What is something within the ocean field you have always wanted to learn and never come to until now? Ah, oh, it's really, um, it's really Python. I started, uh, I started taking the course with Justin Sides. And uh, I start and then I, I follow the, <laughs> I need to go back on. And uh, so I, I wish I had several hours, you know, a week to do that. I need to find them but with COVID. It's not really, it, everybody has a different experience with COVID. Some people have all these free times only. Some others have like various children under their roof that they, they need to occupy and uh, keep busy. Um, so uh, yeah, Python. I think it would okay, be very well. useful. And another thing, and actually uh, Micah's post on Ocean Curious was very useful, is um, developers' tools. I, I want to learn more because I find a lot yeah. of things when you, when you lift the hood and you find a lot of info. Exactly. I, I like that metaphor, lifting the hood. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, it's helping a lot, like, for me lately. So, a more like, if you could do another video with uh, Mika or, or someone else about, you know, more developer tools, uh, hacks and tricks, uh, yeah. I would, uh, I would be grateful. Well noted. Where do maybe we're doing some blogs or ten minute tips? Um, I wanted to thank you a lot for this time and this interview. Uh, let me uh, show everybody where they can find you before we go into the news. So uh, Emmanuel also has uh, a website which you can find at friendsdetective.com. You can take a look at it there, and you can of course find her at her Twitter account being uh, the French PI. Well, you may have noticed a little bit by her accent that she's <laughs> French. So French PI just, well, we all come up with those really good names, right? You're, when you're Dutch, you do some Dutch in your name and you're French, you do some French in your handle. So uh, where are my US guys? No, kidding. Uh, Emmanuel, thank you so much. Uh, please oh, stick around you. as we yeah, move into around. the news just... and uh, and chime in where you want to do, uh, where you want to chime in. Um, moving from the interview to uh, the news now, uh, let me talk about first a new sponsor. We've got a new great sponsor being awareonline.com. They sponsored us. So uh, thank you for that. Appreciate that. And if there are other listeners out there who want to sponsor us, take a look at our domain and we can tell you how you can contribute either feeding via Patreon or just doing a more uh, company-wise sponsoring. Uh, that being said, we also had our second official guest blog. Uh, this one uh, was done by Amin G. Um, maybe Ron, I think you know him best. 
want to chip in a little bit here on here? Yeah, so this is, um, so Amin, I think he will be also at some point on, on our webcast, so he can maybe then also talk more about his work. But in this, yeah. um, uh, in this blog post, he kind of like wrote an introduction into how to research uh, entities in, in the US. And he kind of like provides really useful resources on how to obtain uh, publicly available information. Here, for instance, such as the fara.gov or justice.gov website, and kind of like gives also tips and uh, shows some tricks on how to obtain kind of like se uh, not secret but uh, relevant information. And it's a really nice introduction into this whole topic of uh, researching foreign influence in the US. Yeah, yeah, I, re I really enjoyed this article. Uh, there were still some gents that I didn't know of, or at least how to uh, leverage. Uh, the important information from it. I knew about the resources, but now I learned a trick or two. That's why I like hosting yeah. so much. You every day you learn. Exactly. Uh, anything else uh, on this article? No. Okay. Uh, let me move into uh, Teferguli. Uh, I hope I pronounced it right, but it was a new tool uh, that Sawdust uh, and Sawdust is for the people who uh, are in the OSINT field are maybe familiar with because he already helped us with building that awesome tool that helps you to do those Facebook graph-like searches once the original Facebook graph search died a few years ago. He came up with how to manipulate those JSON code uh, type of URL strings. He now released a new tool, uh, Ferrugli, uh and basically it's uh, meant to be a Twitter analysis suite. Um, I have not had the time to install it and do it. I've read some people who also had some trouble installing it, but everything you need in there, keep in mind, it's for free, open on GitHub. So it's probably uh, a first release, so it may be a little bit wonky in the beginning, but Sawdust, knowing Sawdust, it's something that's going to be good and it's actively being worked on so we can expect some new updates probably in the near future. Definitely something to check out, worth checking out. Um, Next article. Uh, yeah, I think I was going wants to, to chip in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is an article. In fact, it's a series of three articles from Sim Windy, um, who we featured quite a bit of his stuff on here before. But um, it's a guide to um, sort of OSINT methodology and how to conduct research. It's not about tools as such. It's more about how you think. So um, the first part of the article, the intelligence cycle, looks at uh, planning and direction, how you decide what you're actually going to do. Um, oh, Sim Windy is here in chat, I'm told. Hi, Sim Windy. This is a great article. Um, <laughs> the, se the second part um, looks at uh, gathering information. And then the third and final part, which is just published, looks at how you analyze it and turn it into uh, a useful product. I think for anyone who... <clears throat> is interested in doing their own in OSINT investigations or is looking at how to develop their skills uh, on the theoretical side, it's a really good uh, and accessible read. It's really, really a good piece of work. Yeah, I totally agree. It was a good read. I really enjoyed reading this one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so again, thank you, Sinwindi, for yet another, another great gem for the OSINT community. Uh, moving to my good uh, online digital friend, Francesco Poli, our Italian guy. Uh, some people may know him because he contributes a lot to Twint. Uh, he now recently uh, released a small script because he also has this great Telegram uh, search engine, which 
probably a lot of us have used or know mm -hmm. of. And now he transformed that into a Multigo transform. I tested this, uh, it works perfectly fine. So if you uh, are familiar with Multigo, uh, Multigo and now know how to install uh, a transform, you can install this and use this to search for Telegram channels and channel names that are publicly available, or at least can be found publicly. This is a great way to pivot into different channels. Really cool tool. Um, next up, um, yeah. this was from you, Nix, or Moran? Okay, go ahead. Well, I came across this um, really interesting article, and it's just a, a quick kind of like story about how you can, it's a nice case study of how you can use Companies House uh, streaming API to find newsworthy stories. So this is, um, was nicely written and explains how you can go about using a tool. So this one uses R, so it's not in Python, but R. Also very famous and a lot of academics use it. And it just walks you through on how you can use such data that is publicly available and, and find stories in there. So it's kind of like more data journalism, but it doesn't really matter if it's journalism or not. The underlying methodology can be applied to literally anything. And we also talked about um, um, kind of like different cases. Emmanuel was talking about um, how to find information and companies houses kind of like in the UK gives you information about companies who owns it um, and a lot more information, correspondence address, et cetera, et cetera. So that's just a nice case study of how you can uh, use R and extract information from there. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I agree. I think a lot of people tend to forget about R as a suite, which you can do some great analysis in, but it also has some great uh, plugins slash add-ons to uh, pull information from APIs or other sources, which you may want to use from an open source intelligence perspective. So uh, for those who only stare themselves blindly on coding languages like Java or Python or whatever, you may want to take a look in R because in my personal experience, R, its learning curve initially isn't as hard as for instance, JavaScript or maybe even Python, because it's a pretty straight out of box working tool. Mm -hmm. Don't know if there are any other opinions about R or yeah. are there none? I, I, used I to, tried uh, to learn it. It yeah. was, it's hard. It <laughs> yeah. is. I know that uni... I think it was talk like a pirate day. Mm -hmm. It would have been very, very topical then. R. Yeah. <laughs> R. <laughs> Well, maybe uh, we got a new case studying uh, piracy on the seas uh, that is still going on. How many R's there still are? No, all the bad joking aside, uh, I ran into this article yesterday, which I really enjoyed. Uh, it's the subtle information hackers find in background of your social media photo. So that's the title of the article. But what I really enjoyed, it's uh, basically an entire story by Casey Botticello. Uh, it was written somewhere back in January, but he tells you how hackers, but also investigators and online researchers uh, can look at photos and yield really meaningful detailed information from it. But it can also put your company, your personal, your private life at risk because a lot of people are just not aware enough of what kind of information we can extract from these photos. License plates here, for instance, uh, which you can lead you to uh, maybe the owners of the car or at least make and model. You'll see offices where 
a lot of sensitive do documents can be found and you can look at. So I still think that every now and then articles like this are so important for uh, general awareness for the mass majority of computer users maybe or, or internet users. But also for me as an open source intelligence investigator, I read these articles and I, and I see things. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, it's been ages that I used that possibility, but now I got reminded about it again. So this is why I like articles like these. And again, for those listening, all the articles we mentioned will be uh, dropped in the show notes later on for a webcast recording. Um, but also, uh, someone pinged me on Twitter about this article. No, it was on my LinkedIn saying, hey, uh, there's also some ethical considerations while posting these kind of articles because uh, you can make bad actors wiser than they already are. They can learn so much from the techniques we teach them, basically. Also, for instance, on our and Curious blocks that others can learn from. So always a fair line. Yeah, you want to add something? Uh, I had a question, Nico, because once I was looking for a fugitive who was hiding either in France or in uh, Barcelona, Spain, and he was publishing on Facebook photos of his um, boarding passes. So he was hopping all over Europe when he was not supposed to travel uh, uh, freely. And uh, I remember finding so that you had the QR code, the sort of a code on the on the. Um, plane tickets, and they, they were a bit skewed, so I tried to work them on Photoshop or to, to make it square again. I was trying to scan the brain. Yeah. I, I, it, it failed. It didn't work, but uh, is it something that would be possible to do? Well, yeah. it's good you asked because I was... Oh, yeah. I was going to mention this. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention this article because this article... Um, uh, good point. It, uh, I found it because Benjamin Strick uh, uh, posted this on his Twitter timeline uh, saying, this is an amazing article. You've got to read this. So I read it because when Ben says so, you do so. Uh, so here is the former uh, prime minister of Australia showing his passport number, uh, finding his passport number uh, through a boarding ticket. So. Yeah. On his Instagram, he posted a boarding ticket. Um, <laughs> the person who wrote this blog did some really extensive open source intelligence and used some great techniques. Also, as uh, I was amazed by uh, the state of mind he basically has or had during this investigation to come to a conclusion where he uh, in the end find by using the developer tools, which you just said I want to learn more about, uh, he found this phone number his private cell number in there and he found um and correct me if i'm wrong here people a phone number and something else let me passport numbers in there too yeah it's official passport numbers yeah shared that information it didn't show it on the web page but it was shared within the source code for the page the, the code, yeah. okay. see here here you'll see the document number and the phone number is being found in the code. So basically this answers your question, Emmanuel. Uh, it can be done, but yeah. it is hard. It is hard. And yeah, uh, will this happen often? Pro probably question, not. If I'm correct. Okay. And that is that it was skewed, right? It wasn't straight. So it was hard That's to read. The, the problem. It was skewed. Yeah. That, it was I have that for you yeah. for that though. Snapseed. You go to Snapseed, you go into the tools and the perspectives, and you can straighten out things that are skewed. 
and it Ooh, doesn't go back. Thank you. Uh, Love it. Yeah, thank the Snapsheet you. app. Yeah, yeah. That's and a good one. Wallach, he actually had that same difficulty where he was not able to get the code to read, but he noticed that there was a, the code was actually written in regular ASCII, so he was just able to. <laughs> okay, even better. Yeah. Okay. Now, super, super awesome article. I really enjoyed reading this one. It will be also, again, be posted in our uh, show notes. Um, moving to the next article, uh, the EPS uh, Google account finder. I think it was you, Nix, who posted this, right? Yeah, that's right. So um, those of you who follow Sector035's blog, um, he posted about a year ago, he'd done some digging into how Google puts its IDs together, how Google accounts are formed, and how you can work from a Google email address to uh, YouTube accounts and uh, things like that. Um, and EPOS have taken the sector's research and they put it all together in an easy tool for you to use. Um, so basically this allows you to research any Gmail address. Uh, so you put a Gmail address in, it will tell you um, that person's, I refuse to believe there's no John Doe at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, you put someone's Gmail address in there and it will tell you where the URL for their photo albums, if they have public photo albums. I think it has the URL for their YouTube as well, possibly. It has their Google profile picture. And it brings up this, uh, last, oh yeah, the last update. Um, sorry, I said YouTube profile. It brings up their Google Maps profile. So if they've added or edited any locations. And this last update, uh, we think, refers to not when they actually last used the Gmail account, when we think it's when they last accepted uh, Google's latest privacy um, terms and conditions. So if you've got a Gmail address and you want to know if it's active, that will at least give you a rough idea. But yeah, um, Sector deserves a lot of credit for this because he's did the hours and hours of research and EPOS have turned it into a really useful tool. I've yeah. used it a few times this last week, actually. It's really good. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed uh, I was amazed how many Gmail accounts have another Gmail account attached to it. Mm. So it's great for pivoting if you yeah. already know an email address. And, and the Google Maps links to the reviews, right? So sometimes yes. they review. Because I worked on an accident case this week, and there wasn't much except the lady reviewed. Um, she she uh, killed a cyclist, but she had reviewed a LASIK surgery center a few months prior. So now the attorneys for the victim, um, for, the, for basically the the, the people trying to find more information about this lady uh, know that uh, she, she had LASIK surgery, which is a piece of information that uh, could be useful, uh, or at least you know what she may come up with. When, uh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so you have the reviews, and sometimes they review, uh, you know, local pizzerias or restaurants, and you, you see where they're active, where they yeah. work and live. So Maybe gyms, uh, restaurants, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, next article is about the Global Investigative Journalism. They had some new uh, podcast out. Was Laurent you posting yeah. this one? Yeah, exactly. So generally, it's a really cool um, website to follow. All the, the newsletter is really good. And it has also sometimes really good uh, tips and tricks for Aussens. Mostly tailored to journalists, but it doesn't really matter where you work. If you're into Aussens, check it out. And this one, I thought, um, just give it a shout out because... It lists like really interesting podcasts and I love to listen to uh, investigative podcasts where people talk about how they went about a case, how they solve stuff, because this is 
how I kind of like learn new things, but also see how people approach the same problem I have uh, encountered numerous times and maybe learn something. So yeah. check it out if you're interested and it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I don't like podcasts during um, COVID times because I used to listen to podcasts during commuting. Yeah. And we here. don't commute uh, anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually surprised there are a lot on here I have not seen or listened to. Cool. Well, now you have at least 12 new ones. <laughs> yeah, if it's true crime, I'm usually on top of it, but I haven't seen a lot of these. Yeah, and there's so much out there, but they're, yeah, I'm looking at it now. It looks like some really interesting ones. Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, there was a new open source intelligence conference that has opened its call for papers or presentations. Laurent? Yeah. You post this one in? I think that was me again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just a call for proposals. So whoever wants to kind of like give a presentation um, and yeah. talk about something, there you go. This is the form. Um, you can pitch a, a presentation. And if you are successful, you can then speak at this conference. Um, but for yeah. more information, just visit the website. So it's uh, presented by the Many Hats Club. Shout out to them. Do awesome work. Uh, Trace Labs, shout out to them. Do awesome work. And the uh, NCPTF, of course. Well, all some really big players in the OSINT landscape, right? So bound to be a good con, I hope. Maybe I'll do a CPF myself. You yeah. never know. Um, then we have the last entry for uh, today for what news is all about. I think this was also you, Laurent, last one. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, as it says, it's a worldwide collection of industrial designs data. I haven't myself, like I haven't used it before, um, but apparently it is uh, really, really useful. And it also contains another link, which is um, an article written by Matthias, uh, Matthias Wilson, MW OSINT. And he kind of like, he talked about how you can use this database specifically in an OSINT context. So I think he also provides a couple of cases and examples. So. Uh, I will also put it in the show notes um, so you can go and check it out. But this is a really cool, um, especially if you work in um, um, the uh, yeah in various fields. Whenever you you need to check something, do a Google reverse image search. Maybe you find it. Maybe uh, you can't find it. So it's good to have kind of like a database backup. So yeah, I like I thought it. This was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, because, especially, especially for the child abuse. Yeah, I was just going to say that that would be really good for um, locating, um, you know, they have the, what's the one where they do the rugs? Is it the, the repository of rug pictures from hotels? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they are all unique, like same like the curtains. Yeah, so it would be really cool to have. Um, I, don't think, I don't think everybody has access to that, though. I think you can upload pictures, but you can't see them. So this is actually yeah. cool that we have access to it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, so the Wepo.in will also be in our show notes. Uh, I think it's uh, a really cool repository. I, I really need to play around with that and especially figure out how to find information fast that I can really corroborate with, for instance, what I look in a when I find in a picture, because that's probably the hardest part, but still the most useful part. Uh, anything else for news? Because this is what I would have lined up for today. You all have entries in there. Nothing? Well, then we move into the shameless self-promotion part and saying goodbye because we are 
almost in an hour. Um, well, I'll go myself first. Uh, I have nothing to shamelessly promote uh, except go watch the Ocean Curious blog, uh, go watch the episode if you weren't tuning in live. Uh, and you can always follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever you want to follow me, Dutch underscore Ocean Guy. And uh, I'm handing it over to Nix. Okay, so I've had a really quiet summer on the internet front, um, but I'll be back with some more content. Over the summer, I've recorded a series of four 10-minute tips for the Ocean Curious um, YouTube channel. The, the first ones of those are going to look at image geolocation, so, uh, which a lot of people have asked about how to get into. So start off with really simple things and gradually make them a bit harder. The first of those should be out on YouTube before the next webcast. No pressure on myself to get them before that. Uh, but yeah, they will, uh, they will be out soon, and I'll have some new blog content out too. Super awesome. So, Laurent, what's with you? I mean, I'm super busy as usual, but I have nothing to promote. So, <laughs> okay. Ray, and you? Um, I, have, I have a few talks, but they're college, um, college talks, so they're not open to everybody. Um, but I did just participate in B-Sides Copenhagen. So that stream, I believe, is live now for everybody to watch. And they're going to break every presentation up, and that'll be up soon. So if you missed my talk, you can, you can check it out. Oh, cool. Yeah, really interesting. Kirby, how about you? Uh, for me, Osmosis is coming up. So Osmosis Virtual oh, yeah. uh, is coming yeah. up in early October, something to look forward to. Other than that, you can always find I have webinars available on academy.pluses.net. Cool. John, how about you? Uh, not much for me, but I may have some uh, classes. The Sands Institute OSINT class coming up. Nothing firmly scheduled yet. I've been on a bit of hiatus with COVID and all that, but um, should have some of those coming up soonish. Okay, cool. And lastly, but certainly not least, our guest of today. Anything you want to say to the audience or want to promote? Uh, yeah, the Society of Professional Investigators. Uh, we're having a virtual meeting on Thursday that's open to all uh, interested. It's uh, on our website, pyonline.info. And um, our guest this week is uh, Matt Spire, the private investigator in New York who's created the Investigators Toolbox. And I believe that Kirby is, uh, is uh, part of this uh, new community of uh, professional investigators. There's some training there, there's a forum. Uh, I haven't tried it yet, it just launched. So Matt is going to introduce um, the investigators um, toolbox on Thursday uh, at um, 6 p.m. Eastern time for anyone who wants to log in. Go to spyonline.info on Thursday, the 20, uh, what would be Thursday, 23rd, I believe. Anyway, we'll make sure it's in our show notes. Exactly, and I will put it on, on my Twitter. So all are, are welcome, and there's an happy hour before if you want to drink and chat with, uh, with uh, investigators from the New York area. Interesting. Sounds really Thank interesting. Thank you for having well, me, Rudy. Well, it was a pleasure and an honor. Learned a lot. Um, that being said, we are in almost an hour. I want to thank you all for attending, and we're going to close up as a group by saying stay OSINT, curious. Oh, I had to do it on my own. So disappointing, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, see you next week, uh, in two weeks, uh, everybody. Thank you. See you. Thank you. Bye. See you. Thank you. Bye.